Well, welcome to Crime Shots. She's Bree. <laughs> and he's Joe. Okay, what do we got? Listen, first of all, you've heard all this stuff going on with uh, this Brian guy. <laughs> Is his name Brian? Laundry. Yeah. Mr. Laundry. Yeah. The Laundry Man. Yeah, so I just read something on TMZ that said that he was spotted in Canada. Well, I think they've they've said he's spotted everywhere, right? Well, I saw the one that said he was. They found him dead in Alabama, hung hung in Alabama, right, hanging what? from a tree. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, there's there there have been well, tons of them. Well, I think there's like actual pictures of him, like at a. Um... When you say found in Canada, this isn't on. No, no, no. There's pictures of him trying to check into a hotel in Canada. Mm. And then well, they had like... they had pictures of him on a trail camera on like yeah, the Appalachian Trail too, right? Yeah. Well, no, he was in Florida. Well, he was on the way to the Appalachian Trail. I don't. Oh, I don't know. Where's the Appalachian Trail? I don't know, but I was talking to Nikki about it, about him being in Florida, and I was like, he's definitely gonna go. Like, what's the closest out-of-country area to Florida? It's Cuba. And so Nikki's like, well, people can't just, like, walk into Cuba. And you probably don't want to just walk into Cuba. Cuba. But it was kind of a... going from Florida all the way to Canada, that's a huge difference. Well, keep in mind, he was into hiking, right? Like, that's what he did. That's his thing. And the Appalachian Trail takes you all the way to Canada. I just looked it up. It's actually. Oh, are you serious? Yeah. Like. Wow. Uh, it looks like it starts somewhere in Georgia, but. Well. I want to totally say they think. said something like he had. They gave him like. The parents basically. Um. Kept the cops away for a long enough time that mm -hmm. they gave him a big head start, and that a lot of people there were a lot of theories that he was going to the Appalachian Trail and that was where he was got he was caught on camera right but i mean yeah. they totally gave him a crap ton of money and mm -hmm. they were like go here stay here for six months and we'll come get you are they in prison yet no they're not even arrested that's insane so i talk about that because there's something that happened in texas that nobody is talking about because of the laundry case I'm sure there's a lot going on that nobody's talking about. This is kind of a big deal. There is a 15-year-old boy that killed his whole family and then posted it on Discord. Hell, okay. Yeah. Posted, like, posted a video of, of I don't, everything? I, I, I read that it was pictures. Like, like, pictures of them dead. Like, he killed them and they're dead. Wow. And somebody on, and it's like a high-populated Discord channel. And apparently he had been talking about doing it for quite a while. And then he did it. And so when people saw that he posted pictures of it, they contacted authorities. Authorities go and look. And, of course, they're dead. Mm. And then they also found evidence that he had made plans to attack a school. Wow. And nobody's but, talking about this. <laughs> so he planned on attacking a school, but he posted everything on Discord mm -hmm. first? He posted he posted killing his parents and like his family on Discord. And he had like he he wasn't ending it. Like he I don't think he had he thought that they were like actually gonna come after him. 
because he did not kill himself and because normally that's what happens right Mm -hmm. and uh yeah after they got him they found evidence that he had planned to attack a school wow but because no i didn't hear about that at all right because of the landry case nobody's talking or the laundry case nobody's talking about it and this was just on a random Discord server? Like I don't I don't know if it was random. I tried to find the name of the Discord server but I couldn't find it, but uh apparently it was a high populated channel. Like it was Yeah. It's not like something ours. a lot more public. Yeah. Hmm. So I just felt like that wow. was crazy. Yeah, I hadn't anyway, heard about that at all. Yeah. So jumping right into this case. Yup. I'm going to give you a little bit of statistics since we're talking about all these other cases. So according to the Attorney General's website of Texas, there uh-huh. there are approximately 269,000 unsolved homicides in the U.S. That's a lot. That's in the U.S. And in Texas, there's around 19,000 that are is this, unsolved. Is this, this is the entirety, not like for the year? This is for... No, no, this is the entirety, yeah. Okay. There's 19,000 unsolved homicides. Mm-hmm. So, that's a lot. I mean, I believe it. I believe it, though. There's... with, And this has been discussed in the past, but with the justice system the way that it is, I'd say... You know, it's a you've got probably a good 30 percent chance of getting away with something like that. Just and not obviously people can know you did it. But if they can't prove it, they can't prove it. That's true. Look at So OJ. they can say it's unsolved, but it, it could still it could be solved. Mm-hmm. It just not in the court. Right. Right. So. That doesn't, that doesn't shock me that much. I think that's in the entirety of history, 19,000. That sounds well, I don't about know right. How, I don't know how far back it goes. Yeah. So, because I mean, obviously, well, I would I would assume go... since they started reporting these things, so, right? But because I'm sure it's back it, to the early not... 1900s. Yeah, but I mean, think about the quality of reporting <laughs> at the time. True. So. True. On April 30th, 1954, Raymond. Jacoby was born in California. He grew up completely in love with racing and spent most of his time on the dirt track. And dirt track racing is basically exactly what it sounds like. They race on a dirt track. Yeah, on a dirt track. Yep. Right. They race on a dirt track. Right. But what I didn't know is that almost all of the tracks are oval and less than a mile in length. Yeah, they're real short. They're real short. Yeah, but there's several different types of cars that are actually used on a dirt track. And depending on on the modifications, that depends on the type of race. Right. Well, they have different classifications. So they have all of your, they have stock cars, they have modified class, they've got uh, midget cars. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think, is there a super modified class? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of different classes and you can kind of based on your budget figure out where you fit in right and so that's what raymond does and he's like in love with it Mm -hmm. 
So Raymond had married his first wife right out of high school, but that didn't last long. And then he met a waitress named Diane Petty, and they got married in 1975. Is this Richard's daughter? Who? Richard? Richard Petty. Yeah, it took me a minute. Yeah. Got it, though. You got it. I didn't... I didn't look Figured if her. we were racing, you know, right, it'd be a good one to marry because then you, you don't have to worry about fixing your car anymore. That's true. Somebody else would probably take care of that. Yeah, that's true. But I didn't look at her background. So um, in 1977, they had a son named Ron Jacoby. Um, so Raymond continued racing and quickly became a regular at the California circuit. Can I and. Just... Interject here. Who names their kid Ron? Uh, Raymond. Apparently Raymond does, but... Raymond named his son Ron. I don't want to hate on anybody that names their kid Ron, but come on. I know a Ron. You got a cute baby in your hand, and you're like, we're going to name him Ron. I think his first name was Ronald. Ronald. Even Ronald. I feel like cute babies shouldn't be named Ronald. Maybe he was an ugly baby. Yeah. Moving on. Um, anyway, in 1977, they had a son named Ron. Raymond continued racing. Like I said, he was a regular in the California circuit, and it became, it was too much for Diane. And they divorced somewhere around 1981. Yep. So even though it broke up his marriage, Raymond continues racing on the dirt track. It's just like what he loves to do. Yeah, I think they say, uh, I think they say you have to, you have to be married to racing. Is that what they say? I don't think they say that, but is that sounds what you're good. Is that you're going to say, though? Sounds good. All right. Anyway, so this is where Raymond met Mary Green. And Mary is one of the girls that you see in the pictures with the guys that win the race. Right. Because right. if, if you ain't first, you're last. Exactly. Yeah. Um, shake and bake. So they call them trophy girls. Because they always give out the trophy. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> not because of the other reason you were thinking of. No, I although was thinking... typically I guess that would be a, the case, just because they're not hired because they're ugly. Yeah, who wants grandma handed on their trophy? That's not fun. Right. So Mary was born in 1957, so she's just like a few years younger than Raymond, and she is also a single mom, and she has one son named Chapin. 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 Well, we are killing the names here. <laughs> well, I did check on how to pronounce these, so I am saying them right, just so you know. Uh, it's hard to it's hard to mispronounce Ron. Right. Well, I didn't have to check on that one. Anyway, okay. so Raymond and Mary meet over mutual interests of racing. They're both single parents to boys. You know, they're they're together. It's it's working for them. All right. So an opportunity comes up for them to build a dirt track in Montana called Tusker Speedway. In 1983, Raymond and Mary moved to Trout Creek, Montana, and they get married. So they go and they help build and open this racetrack where a lot of Mary's inheritance money was used to help build it. I mean, when they say they they helped build the track, I'm guessing they're like part owners, partners... How does that like work? Like, they ran it. I don't know if they owned it, but I would assume that they were part owners because they put money into it. Right. Right. Um, but they did run it. 
And it was also like an open bar track, like a free beer track. Free beer track? Mm -hmm. Like you show up and you get free beer? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that sounds like fun. Yeah, that sounds like this track is not going to last long. Well, yeah, it sounds like a problem for the for the owners. Right. Which is exactly what happened. Uh, obviously, they start suffering financially. That makes sense. <laughs> so naturally, Raymond and Mary start having problems. Because they love each other, and they love racing, but it's not really jiving well together. Just can't give away free beer. You can't. You can't do that, especially... <laughs> and run a business place, it's just ridiculous <laughs> yep i did do some research on this racetrack and i can't i can't see where it's currently opened i don't know if maybe somebody bought it and then changed the name of it later on or something but like other than this case i can't find record of tusker speedway in montana one thing's for sure, they're not giving out free beer anymore. It's not happening anymore. Right. So don't don't go to Montana looking for free beer at a race yeah. track because it's not going to happen anymore. Raymond and Mary eventually divorce in 2003, but they stay good friends. It's weird. I don't understand it. If you can't I... stand somebody enough to live with them, how do you stay friends with them? I don't know. I don't know. Never made sense to me. Gigi stayed People are different. Top. Yeah, people are different. And takes all kinds. Yeah. I'm not going to say that I'm I'm friends with my ex-husband, but I'm totally friends with his wife. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, you wouldn't stay friends with Nikki? You don't think it would work out? I mean, if it was bad enough that we, you know, ended it, I don't I don't know how I don't it does just that doesn't jive with me. I don't know if if it was that bad, I wouldn't I don't know yeah. how you would. Yeah. That does seem Cuz there'd have to be a lot of problems there. Right. No, I get it. I don't know. Yeah. They decided that they worked well as business partners, but not well romantically. Apparently they didn't work well as business partners. See, giving away free I, beer I would all. I would think that I would think the opposite. But Yep. Maybe they just make bad choices altogether. Maybe they're just not really good choice makers. That could be it. Maybe they had it backwards. They should have stayed married and not been business partners. You know, that, that could have worked better for them. Because let me tell you what happens. Do it. So they divorce, and then Raymond moves to Mejia, Texas. I know that place. <laughs> Mexia. <laughs> Uh, well, he opened a salvage yard called Mejia Recycling Plant, and Mary went with him. Okay. They're Did they divorced. give out free beer? No, 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 no. No free beer. No free beer. Okay. So they're divorced, but they moved to Mejia, Texas together. For people that don't know, or people that just want me to say it, Mejia is in Limestone County, just about 40 miles northeast of Waco. Northeast. Yes. So that's up and right. Right. Slightly. Yeah. So Mahaya is known for being the most commonly mispronounced town. <laughs> you mean Mexia? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Mexia. Uh, so, obviously, it is spelled M-E-X-I-A, but it is pronounced Mejia. Some notable people from Mejia are Les Baxter, a musician and composer. Ray Rhodes, NFL player and coach. Cindy Walker, a country singer. Just get to the good one. And Anna Nicole Smith. There you go. A model and actress. That's the only one anybody knows. Yeah. Well, I mean, everybody else is like blah. Her son was from there too. Obviously. Anna Nicole Smith's son. Yeah, but they're both dead. He's he's dead too. I mean, refresh refresh my memory. Who's who was he? I I don't think he was anybody. Like he was just her son. Oh. And I think he died of an overdose, if I'm not mistaken. I mean. I think that's what she died of too, isn't it? No. I don't think there's anything else to do in Mahaya, is there? No, just over. Well, I'll, they, she wasn't living there when she died. She was living in one of her husband's houses. You can overdose or you can recycle stuff. Let me tell you. Pick your pick your poison. So, Raymond and Mary are set up in Mahaya, Texas. So Raymond is living in a house on the recycling plant property, and then he set Mary up in a house that's like around the block. So she's just like around the corner. Then in 2008, Raymond starts traveling like a lot. Like for business? No, for pleasure. Just traveling. Yeah. Okay. He's like, well, I don't want that one. So I'm going to go find a new one. If you, if you There's not a whole lot in Mahaya, huh? Right. So, and he runs a scrapyard. So. Yeah. Um, so he specifically starts traveling to the Philippines, which happens to be on our list of countries that listen to us. So, hey, y'all. Like when you say when you say traveling to the Philippines, do you mean like in search of, of a mail order bride or are we talking just a party? So. <laughs> the articles describe it as he's he's still seeking a lifelong companion. And so I didn't want to jump to the assumption of he's he's looking for a woman. But that's well, that is how they describe it. He has so he he's he's had plenty of uh experience getting married to the to the locals. Right. So he's if you will. Right. So I've I don't want to get too specific here, but I've I've noticed there's there's kind of a trend there when people have that kind of experience, they uh they might actually tend to try and go a little further out. For they want to add a little bit of spice. I don't know about spice, but maybe try something someone different. that's is definitely yeah, something yeah. different. Yeah. Right. So um that the Philippines is where he met Atina. Pagatus. Atina. Atina Kagatus. Pagatus. Kagatus. 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 Um, okay. who is also a single mom of one child. Don't ask me where all of these other parents are. I don't know. <laughs> the only one accounted for is Ron's mom. <laughs> but I don't know where Chapin's mom is I mean Chapin's dad is, and I, I don't know where Atina's daughter's dad is okay okay probably in the philippines 
<laughs> so Atina was born in 1980. So she's like 26 years younger than Raymond. Give or take Jeez. a few months. And Raymond's how old again? Like at this point? Uh, he was born in... So this is 2008. He was born in 57. Okay, so he's 51. So Raymond's just head over heels in love with Atina. He says that she is 100% his soulmate. Yep. So much so he proposes to her and arranges for her and her daughter to move to Mahaya. Because that's exactly where someone from the Philippines wants to start their life when they come to America. Hey, up is probably up, you know. <laughs> Let's be honest. I don't know. I mean, I've seen the pictures of where he was when he was in the Philippines. And, like, it's beautiful where he was. When you say beautiful, do you mean, I mean like, like, white sandy you mean like beaches. jungle beautiful? Yeah, but it's, yeah. I'm just yeah. saying there's no beaches in my hair. I mean, <laughs> Tom Hanks found Wilson in a beautiful spot. You know what I mean? Oh, so, that's true. So, beautiful doesn't mean a whole lot when you're talking about ease of life. Because that's one way to look at it. So, he arranges for them to come to Mahaya. Then, in January of 2011, Atina and her daughter finally arrive in Mahaya. So, I looked it up. The visa requirements. Mm -hmm. Mainly because I don't think I've ever actually looked up what the requirements are and what the stipulations are. So, I will say it changed. You're talking about 2011 here, but um, Trump changed it <gasps> quite a bit. What did he change it to? It made it a lot harder, a lot harder. Um, and this is from experience from a coworker. So he was actually in the process of, of doing this exact thing. And of like becoming I, a U.S. citizen, is that what you're saying? Of trying to, trying to get her a U.S. citizenship, oh, trying okay. to get her into the country. And I don't remember how much harder he made it, but it was quite a bit harder. He was not happy about it. It didn't used to be hard, I don't think. I think it used to be you just marry them and, and they they grant them citizenship because they're married. I, I looked up the current requirements. Mm -hmm. So obviously this may differ from the requirements in 2011. Right. right. I guarantee you it's different. So uh, the required documents are they obviously they have to fill out the application. They have to have a valid passport, a current photograph, and receipt of payment for the application, which is one hundred and sixty dollars, and all social media details. I didn't know that. That's it. Well, that's that's, that's not that's, it, right? That's just the documentation required to apply. And this is. Is this a H-1B visa? No, we'll see. I'll, I'll get about? to the different types of visas. Okay. This is just the standard first step process of the application. Okay. So they this have is... to give them access to their social media. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah, and like I said, that's just the application process. But wouldn't it, I mean, say you were, let's say just off the wall here say you're an isis terrorist and you've been making all these pro-isis 
posts on Twitter because Twitter loves that stuff. Mm-hmm. And if you wanted to get American citizenship and they said, oh, well, show us your Twitter, just make a new Twitter. Right? I mean, it's not like you. you've got a. That's the silliest thing ever. Make a new Facebook page and be like, there it is. There's nothing on it. I don't I don't really do that. Right. But at the same time, I guess, with the amount of technology that they do have, if they go in and find that you're lying to them, then they're probably just going to deny you on that basis alone. I mean, like if you don't provide all the information and they find out that you didn't provide it, it's like, okay, deny on to the next one. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. I don't know how far they dig into that, though. I would imagine, knowing how the government works, they probably don't even look at it. I don't know. Or they do but, very little. Uh, yeah, true. But, depending on how you answer the application, there are other forms of documentations that a documentation that may apply. Okay. For example, in some cases, an invitation letter is required. That's odd. Like a letter stating that you are invited here by a U.S. citizen. Right. Well, I mean, That's I kind of assume example. I would kind of assume in this scenario. Well, I guess this is just so you're talking. This is an this is just an application for a visa. This is this isn't. Um, this is not based on like you're marrying an American citizen. Here's what you have to provide. Right. This is not specific to your needs. This is just me. OK, I got you. Um, There are different types of visas based on your needs right so there is an immigrant visa which is that's the it's a it's for permanent residents there is a visitory visa which is for like vacations or like right quick business you're only going to be here for a certain amount of time right there's a fiance visa which it which means that you plan to marry a u.s citizen which is the one we're talking about Right. Um. There's a student visa. Obviously, they come here to go to school. Mm-hmm. There's a business or professional visa, and it says that this can only be used for citizens of Canada or Mexico. The fiance visa. No, the business or professional visa. Ah, so that's because of um. I bet you that has to do with Trump too. I bet you it does too. Um. When he trans- changed the whatever the trade partnership what they call it what was it called i don't remember you're you would know either. more than me um and then there's a transit visa visa which just means that you're like passing through on your way to somewhere else does gotcha. that make sense yep okay so we would assume that since raymond proposed to atina that he would be getting her a fiance visa therefore they only had four months from the date that the application was entered to get married. Not four months from the date she arrived in America, but four months from the date the application was approved. In America? Yes. So, the date it's a, it's approved, she has four months to get there and then get married. Right. That's not so that she, big of a deal. That's That's fair. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just one of those situations where that they have a limited amount of time to, like, gather up all their stuff, you know, get plane tickets and then pay to get all their stuff. Like, it's just expensive. Mm-hmm. So, 
Well, you got to be prepared for what you're doing. It's true. Um, so obviously by the time she gets here, a little bit of time's already passed. They do set their wedding date for April 4th, 2011. By the way, it's the USMCA. I don't know if we want to like revise that because I know it would eat me alive if I heard that in a podcast and I didn't. What? The the Mexico the trade agreement we were talking about the reason that oh yeah okay business go ahead. visas you can we were just it. saying well the USMCA when he trained when he when he made the USMCA that's the Mexico Canada trade agreement mm-hmm. that basically I'm sure that's part of that business visa thing that that's that's probably the reason you have to be either a citizen of Mexico or Canada because you in in the trade agreement itself. Mm-hmm that's that would apply that just makes sense i just wanted to throw that in there because it was eating me up i'm gonna grab a cough drop because i think i'm dying okay oh i'm gonna cough drop nobody's even died yet nobody's died yet what are you talking about in the podcast oh shit wait till this next one comes up Sneak peek, everyone. Stay tuned. <laughs> Just kidding. Anyway, so they set their wedding date for April 4th, 2011, which also happens to be Atina's 31st birthday. So good for them. Raymond and Atina settle in, and uh, he starts showing her around and shows her around Mejia. He introduces her to all his friends, all his family, and kind of introduces her into the scrapyard business since she's going to be a part of that now. Right. And side note, you know, for those frugal people out there, if you're going to marry somebody, go ahead and marry them on their birthday. That way you can give them one gift and say it's for the anniversary and the birthday. And it's like two birds, one stone. That is such a man's way of thinking. These are money saving tips. Okay. This is the kind of thing that you need to know in life. All right. So just pack that away. We'll save that. Write that down somewhere. And everybody can check out our sister podcast, Joe Gives Money Advice. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to have a better name than that. <laughs> <laughs> Naturally, Atina meets Raymond's ex-wife, Mary, you know, because she works there, too. And she lives and, around the corner. Right. And Mary says that uh, she doesn't she doesn't like Atina. Of course not. From the very beginning, she told all of her friends that she didn't like Atina and called her, quote, a slut and a fish head. A fish head? Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's not nice at all. I wouldn't know what it meant. I mean... Oh, I wasn't raised like that. So I had to look up what that meant. And it's it's very rude. Is it is it like a slur to Filipinos? Yes. Okay. I I had a feeling that was kind of because they're you know it's it's an island they eat a lot of fish. It's very rude, but I also felt like it was necessary to know the type of person that Mary is. Yeah, that's that's really mean. It's Regardless nice to how people end up being, there's no need for that rude talk. Yeah. So it's safe to say that Mary and Atina are not getting along. But it's important to note that, yes, I do find it odd that he just meets this woman and brings her here to live with him and all that. I'm telling you, this was this this was 
this wasn't like he went over there and just happened to meet her. This was a this was a mail order bride type scenario. There are websites you can go to in 2011 where you can meet people who are literally looking for a husband in America to come marry him and bring him to the U.S. Yeah, I don't think so. I, I, I'm going to throw a 100% guarantee on the fact that that's what this is. I mean, I don't think I don't think that's the case. She just seems really nice. And they're all nice. Why wouldn't Mary's, they be nice? Mary's issue with her is probably just a language barrier because Atina speaks little to no English. Right. Again, bolstering my hypothesis that this is a mail order bride thing. And when I say mail order bride, I'm not trying to demean it. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. And it's not like a business thing, right? This isn't like, oh, well, we sell you a wife. This is it's almost like it's almost like a dating app cross country, right? Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, they're looking to to move to the U.S. and they're hoping that somebody marries them and takes them there. It doesn't have to be. A, I I think there's a stigma there, right? That everybody's mm-hmm. like, oh well, that's, you know. It's just, I don't just like a dating app, I guess is is kind of how you'd have to classify it because. You're not just going to marry the first person that says, okay, I've got $10,000, let's go. You're going to mm-hmm. meet them, you're going to talk, you're going to, you know, you're going to do your courtship thing. And I mean, then... obviously they were seeing each other for quite some time because right. he started traveling right. in 08. And, and this isn't, didn't... right, and this isn't one of those quickie things either, right? It's not mm-hmm. like you just go over there and pick, oh, that one, I want that one, and you bring them over. Oh. I mean, you meet so them, you talk to them. up for you when you get there, like, I want this one. Nope. Mm. Not that easy. Okay. Common misconception. <laughs> so. So. I mean, that's what's going on here. Okay. Now we know everybody. Right. On the morning of March 31st, 2011, a 911 call comes into the Mahia Police Department at 7:07 a.m. Yes, I have the 911 call. Yes. Hold on, what? Hold on. I didn't understand a single word that she said. Did you? Yeah. What am I missing? Hold on. Somebody shot you. I hear, I bring the bags, it's that baby, <laughs> and charge, 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 charge. <laughs> what the fuck? How did you, what? That's not what she says at all. <laughs> well, I'm sure it's not what she says, but is it that bad quality in here? What am I missing? I bring the bags. I'm sorry, I'm not hearing it at all. I'm hearing, <laughs> I bring the bags, <laughs> dog babies, dog babies charge. She says, he's been shot, and the operator says, you've been shot? And she says, it's not me, it's not me, it's Ray, it's Ray, oh my it's god. It's Ray, it's Ray, okay. Yeah, not me, sounds like dot baby, <laughs> or dog babies. It's Ray, it's Ray, I'm something, hurry? She says, oh my god, hurry. He's been shot. 
it's not me, it's not me, it's Ray, it's Ray. Weird. Yeah, I mean, that's what she's saying because I have the transcript, but it is very bad quality. So anyway, responders arrive to the gate of the recycling plant and they find Mary on the phone with 911. Whoa, what? I thought Atina was the one that called the cops. No, it was Mary. What the fuck? Then why the hell can't you understand Mary? I think it's just the quality of the 911 call. I mean, how many times have we heard 911 calls where we can't understand anything they say? Okay. Yeah. And on the ground beside her is Raymond with a gunshot wound to his chest. Okay. At this point to investigators, it looks like this was a robbery. So Raymond owns a scrapyard and they keep thousands of dollars in cash on hand uh, to conduct business. And this scrapyard is known for being for, for having a certain type of customer. Racers. Nailed it. So Mahay is a small town. The population is only about 7,000. So the police know everybody. So they're obviously fully aware of the type of customers that conduct business there. They know who goes there and uh, mostly the type of business that they do. Are you talking about the type of customers that deliver parts to Ray? I'm talking about the type of customers that go and take him any type of scrap they can find in hopes that they can get some cash. That's what I meant. (laughs) <laughs> understand immediately this is considered an active shooter situation uh because this whole block where the recycling center is is fenced off and the only way in or out is through that front gate right so they come up on a trailer where they find a woman named kayla kayla went who is apparently sleeping well hold on they when they show up they find him and they find mary Mary's on the phone with the cops. What does she well, say? I haven't got to questioning yet. So I'm I'm just saying when they pull up and she's like, he's been shot. There's somebody in there. Or well, is, she pulls up she and she like, finds him. Like, so, you know, like the gate is slightly open and she finds him on the ground. She would have seen somebody running out is what she says. Okay. So, she, so they do ask her what's going on and all that. And she says that she thinks that there's a shooter in there. They're automatically taking caution because they're like, okay, right. If she didn't see anybody run out, then whoever shot him is still, he's got to, whoever it is, has got to be inside the Finston area. Right. I'm following you now. Okay. All right. So they come up on that trailer where they're fine. They find Kayla went and she's just sleeping. Like she doesn't hear nothing. She just sleeping. I mean, just random person? Well, I'll explain who Kayla is later. Then they get to the office, which is also attached to the home that Raymond lives in, and they find Atina and her daughter, and Atina is cleaning. She's, like, sweeping the office. She's, like, what? literally when officers enter the office, she's sweeping. She's told to keep a clean house and when she's people like, are coming over. She's like, what is happening? Oh, my God. Well, how are, I don't know how you say that in Filipino. I feel like if I said it, I'd, I'd probably be yelled at. Probably. So all of these people are accounted for as people 
that are supposed to be on the property. They live on the property. Right. Officers continue to search through the area to see, to find somebody that doesn't belong, that's not supposed to be there. And this is not a small area. And there's literally scraps of stuff everywhere. Scrapyard. Right. So it takes forever for them to actually get through everything, like, to make sure there's nobody else in there. Yeah, you know how many hiding places are in a scrapyard? Right. My God. Uh, But somehow, the shooter manages to get away undetected. Yep. Investigators start looking for evidence to see if anything has been left. Um, They did notice that none of the cash was taken from the office. Okay. Okay. So, the scene's cleared and the investigation begins. They find bullet holes in the fence... Um, where they were able to extract evidence. And the cash box in the office was full of cash. Mary had given them permission to search everything attached to the scrap scrapyard, and in, which included um, anything attached to Raymond. So that included the yard, the office, the home, the trailer, and the house that Mary was living in around the block. So they located several pistols from the office, a few from the home, and three more from Mary's home. Um, an officer would later say that there was a rifle propped up against a window in the scrapyard, but there's no way to confirm that because it was never collected. Hmm. I just felt it important to note that. Yeah. I mean, where, so it was reported, but it, ne- it wasn't collected? No, an officer said that when he was there, he saw one, but it wasn't collected, so it wasn't in the report. Right. So Raymond was rushed to the hospital, and he's actually pronounced dead at the hospital. An autopsy would later determine that he was shot with a high-powered rifle that entered straight through his chest, went through his heart, and exited in the center of his back. And there was a rifle scene, but the cops didn't... No, no. So the cops took all the evidence, right? Right. It wasn't until later, one of the cops that were on scene said, oh, I saw a rifle propped up against a window, but it wasn't collected. All the evidence was collected, and that wasn't part of it. But why would he see it, and why would he not do anything? I mean, to me, I don't know. if somebody's shot, and you're finding weapons and picking them all up and gathering them up and taking them as evidence, and you see a weapon... I mean, he may not have been a part of the team that was in charge of collecting evidence, and so he just assumed that they would do it. Okay. Yeah. So, so the maybe maybe the detectives missed it. That might be the case. Maybe the detectives missed it, and 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 he just. Okay. And he's like, "Well, I I saw this gun there," and they were like, "We collected all guns," and so, I mean, there's nothing they can do about it if it wasn't there when they collected everything. You know what I mean? Yeah, I just feel like if somebody's shot with a high-powered rifle and you go pick up all the pistols, well, you they might would, have a problem. They didn't find out until later when the autopsy was performed that it was a high-powered rifle. All you'd almost think a... you could tell. I mean... Maybe not. Maybe not. So, one of the paramedics that was on scene at the time uh, interviewed and said that they couldn't tell it was a gunshot wound when they originally arrived he was he was laying 
on his face and they they were like what's wrong with him what's wrong with him and she goes i don't know and so they rolled him over and that's when they saw that it was a gunshot wound so when you say high power rifle what what which rifle are we referring to it all the all the autopsy says is a a high-powered rifle that's all it said Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So they didn't find a bullet. Right. Because I'm thinking if there's an exit wound. Right. There's going to be blood everywhere. Mm-hmm. So if there's if they didn't find the bullet, there's going to be an exit wound, which means he's going to be bleeding everywhere. Like I've seen where if you get shot and the bullet doesn't come out the other side, right. you could possibly not bleed a whole lot. Right. From that wound and still die from it. But if you don't find a bullet, that means there was an exit wound. And if there was an exit wound, that means there is a ton of damage on the exit wound side, which means you're going to be bleeding a lot from your back. Right. Right. And how would you not see that? That is. I mean, I'm not a. Oh, no, I'm not that's a, a paramedic, but that seems but odd. That's just how the paramedic described it. And later on. I can read you the autopsy report and how she determined that it was a high powered rifle. I just want to, I just, I know a lot of times when it comes to this kind of thing, when they, when they refer to a gun as a certain type of gun or whatever, that there's a lot of mischaracterization that, you know, right. You could, when you say high powered rifle, you can, there's a, there's a huge span of high powered rifle. Right. So, so like I said, it's, the, yeah. I mean, yeah. we'll the paramedic it. said that it was unclear until they rolled him over on his back. Mm-hmm. But later on, I will, like, I'll give you details of uh, the autopsy, and she even explains why she thinks it was a high-powered rifle, and she talks about uh, even the trajectory of the shot. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Okay, so everyone's brought in for questioning, and the girl from the trailer that was sleeping, Kayla Went, is actually Chapin's girlfriend. And remember, Chapin is Mary's son. Okay, right. And Chapin wasn't there because, unfortunately, at this time, uh, he's actually incarcerated. But Mary was allowing her to live in the trailer. Okay. Okay. Kayla tells investigators that she was sleeping and that she didn't hear anything until they knocked on her door. I mean... So she didn't hear a gunshot. Right. Mary says that she called Raymond around 6.50 a.m. and arrived at the scrapyard about 15 minutes later. When she got there, she said that the front gate was slightly open, but she could see Raymond face down on the ground, and that's when she called 911. Hmm. Atina says that Raymond had gotten a call, and she could tell that it irritated him because it was in the middle of his breakfast. And she says that she saw Mary sitting in her truck by the gate, so that's when Ray went out to let her in. 
Atina then starts cleaning the office. She hears a loud bang and continues to clean the office. Wow. So investigators ask to check Mary's call log. They feel like by checking Mary's call log, it's either going to verify Mary's story or Atina's story. Because their stories aren't necessarily matching up, but we have to verify one of them, right? Mm-hmm. So she gives them her phone and like right then and there when they're talking to her and sure enough there's a call to Raymond around 6.50 yep. and Mary said that when she called him she said that like uh, she, she told him she was about to head over and he told her let me finish my breakfast so that's why she waited a little bit to head over there because she says she called him and then she didn't go over there until about 15 minutes later because when she called, he said, let me finish my breakfast. Okay. She tells investigators that Atina is probably just confused about the time. And so that's why things aren't lining up. Because she has a huge language barrier. And so she's probably just confused. Right. That's possible. Right. And Mary says she would have seen somebody when she pulled up trying to run away or something. I mean, I was going to say, yeah, sure, if if there was someone, and it wasn't. Right, and she didn't see anyone. So investigators noticed another call on Mary's phone at 6 a.m., but this was an incoming call from someone named Dennis. Mary says that it's just a guy that she is trying to buy some property from. Right. I think it's a little odd that he's calling her at 6 a.m., like somebody that you're potentially going to buy property from. But when, I mean, I've seen the video of them asking her, and she's just like, that's just Dennis. Like, they're old friends, like, that's just him. He knows I'm up that early, he's up that early. And I know people like that. Oh, yeah. So There's there's plenty of them. Yeah. So since all three ladies' stories checks out, they decide to run gunshot residue test kits on all three of them. Just to roll them out. So they do that, and then all three of them are released. And since I've never looked into how GSR works, I looked into it for this. Mm-hmm. Okay. So GSR is a means of testing for residue on a person to see if they've recently fired a weapon. Right. Uh, gunshot residue contains burned particles, potassium nitrite, and some unburned particles, potassium nitrate. Other particles from the bullet itself include barium. I don't know how to say that word. Is it antimony? That antimony and lead. Uh huh. Um, when a weapon's fired, these particles are admitted from the back of the weapon and attached to the skin, clothing, or whatever's holding the gun. Um, or whatever's near the back of the gun. Testing for this dates back to 1933. And I didn't know it goes that far back, but the process was a bit different. <laughs> well, I'm sure it was a lot more primitive. Right. So what they would do is they would take hot paraffin wax and take a cast of a person's hand. And then that cast was sprayed with a chemical that would make the particles turn blue if they were present. <laughs> if GSR was present. Interesting. <laughs> I thought that's all. That's what they did for, like, 
blood or like bodily fluids in well, if you think about it, so that the wax would actually, and it's not going to hurt you, right? right I mean, it's right. like dipping your finger in a in a candle, right? But the wax would actually stick to whatever particles, right? You're and when they for. pull it off, the particles are on the wax, right? That right. makes that makes sense. I can see that as a as a thing, right? I think now they just take a swab to their hand, right? Right. So in 1971, they began using a scanning electron microscope so they could actually see the particles beyond what they see with the naked eye. And they do this by taking a swab of the area. Yep. The problem is that GSR only stays on a person for about four to six hours, and anything can basically wipe it off. True, but you would there'd still be traces, you would think. It's so easy to get trace amounts. Like it's like it's the whole DNA thing all over again. True. It's so true. like I guarantee you anybody that has come in contact with you, Joe, <laughs> at some point <laughs> will have traces of it on them. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so um also at this time it could take months to get results back. So scientists in Texas have actually found a way for rapid testing that can detect a single speck of GSR smaller than the period at the end of a sentence. Yeah, I was going to say it. I, it's, it's since I didn't been, think it took that long. So, yeah. Well, in, what was this, 2011? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so since then, they've developed rapid testing. So you're saying since 2011. So at the time of this right. murder... Yeah, it was going to take several months, months, but also wow. you have to take into consideration this is Mahaya. So yeah, but not Houston's everywhere probably a couple has, hours away. Yeah, but not everywhere probably had access to rapid testing. True. Okay. So investigators send off the GSR test kits for the three ladies. In the meantime, they decide that they're going to look into the Dennis guy a little further. Okay. Turns out. That Mary and Dennis had been exchanging phone calls, like, a lot. Like, every single day. And the Dennis guy is actually Dennis Killy, a guy that used to work for Raymond at the scrapyard. I mean, but that's not... I don't find that too odd. Okay. okay. When she said, that's just Dennis, right? Right. It's like, oh, it's just Dennis. Right. I can see how he'd be a, a family friend of, you know... Who knows? Yeah, yeah. I can. Okay. I, I totally get that. Yeah. So investigators start talking to people. The best way for like small towns like this, talk to people. Everybody's gonna know everybody. Everybody's gonna know something about somebody's past. Right. They find out that Dennis and Raymond had actually gotten into a fist fight a couple of years before. Okay. So they decided, you know what? Let's look into Dennis a little more. Remember, Mary said that she was in the process of trying to buy land from Dennis, and so that's why he called her, and he said that he was in Dallas when he called. And Dallas is like 100 miles north of Mahaya. Right. But investigators are suspicious of Dennis, so they look at his GPS location at the time he called Mary, and it places him in Mahaya, Texas at 6 a.m. in the morning. So obviously investigators want to talk to Dennis, right? Yeah. But they're having a hard time finding Dennis. They don't know where he is. So in the meantime, they keep talking to people around town. 
They talked to people who worked at the scrapyard, friends and family members, and even people who lived near the scrapyard. Maxine Spivy lives about a block over from the scrapyard, and she said that while she was putting her granddaughter on the school bus around 7 a.m., she heard a loud boom, but thought it just came from the school bus. Odd. <laughs> uh, other workers at the scrapyard say that Raymond and Mary fought, like, all the time. Even after the marriage. Oh, yeah. Ended. Right. Then, about two weeks after the murder, the Mejia Police Department get a surprise visit. So Robin Dabney and his wife Kim are friends of Mary and Raymond, and they pay a visit to the police department just to let them know everything that they are aware of. So they sit down, turn on the video recorder. I've watched this video, okay? Mm-hmm. He hits the record button, the investigator sits down, and he's like, okay, man, what's up? And the guy, Robin, goes like this. Well, about a year and a half ago, Mary offered me $30,000 to kill Ray. Yes. Like, wow. just bam. Like, dude barely sits in his seat before he just pops off with it. How do you not go to the cops with that kind of information? Oh, Come my on, God. People. Like, this was driving me nuts. Because I was like, how... Have you not told someone this? A year and a half ago, what are you just waiting on him to die? You might as well take the money at that point. Like, right? you knew. And you didn't Damn. stop it. That kind of thing ought to be punishable by jail time. I, th- I, mean, I thought it was, but... Robin tells investigators that about 18 months prior, Mary invited Robin and Kim over to have dinner with her. Raymond was in the Philippines visiting Atina, and after dinner, Mary offered Robin $30,000 to kill Raymond. Mary told him that if he didn't do it, she'd find someone else who would, and put $15,000 cash on the table. She said, you get half now and half when it's done. Wow. I mean, at this point, he's basically accomplished the murder. In my eyes, that's... You knew. Right. You knew 100%. You didn't go tell anybody. Coming forward after the fact is just like... Yeah, that's a little late, bro. (laughs) Damn. He tells Mary, I'm not getting involved in this. And he he was not lying. He did not get involved in that until later, until it happened. Right. So by this time, with everything they know, they suspect Mary may have hired Dennis to kill Raymond. But they can't find Dennis. So they work on that for about four months when they finally are able to track Dennis down. Dennis is in jail in Henderson County, which is just northeast of Limestone County where Mejia is. Yep, convenient. (laughs) So they go to talk to Dennis in lockup. Dennis admits that he did get into a fight with Raymond a couple years before, but it was over something stupid like a tire or something. Like, Raymond accused Dennis of stealing a tire, and Dennis said he didn't, so they fought about it. Or something. Yeah. Dennis was like, I didn't steal no tire. And they got into a fight over it. or something. So It was something stupid. Yeah, I wouldn't. Fist fights aren't motive for murder. Yeah. But he says he didn't have anything to do with the murder, though. And that, that was kind of it. <laughs> like, that was kind of like all of their conversation. Yeah. At this point, they can't really do anything. Uh, They don't have enough evidence to arrest anyone. 
all they really have to go off of are rumors and speculations that they really didn't even have in the beginning. Right. So, in September, which is like six months after the murder, investigators receive the results of the GSR. So, Vicki Hall is an expert in GSR, so I'm just going to go off of her professional re- readings of the results. Right. Okay, so this is from the actual case file, and I'm going to read it off because this is from the expert. It's not my words. And Oh, yeah. So, Vicki Hall testified that she analyzed the results from the gunshot residue kits administered to Raymond, Atina, and Mary. She was not the professional that analyzed Kayla's results, if that makes sense. Why not? Did they did they take a kit? Yeah, they tested her. Uh, the best I can tell is she was negative for everything, so there was no need to call somebody in to, you know, read the results. Oh. Okay, so what sounds to me like hers was fully negative, the others were possibles, so and therefore they got a second opinion. So Vicky says that Mary and Atina's test samples were collected using the atomic absorption method, method, which involves using a cotton swab. Now Raymond's kit sample was collected using the scanning electron microscope, or the SEM method, which involves a sticky stub that is dabbed on the surface being tested. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Vicky goes on to say that increased presence of three elements together, antimony, barium, and lead, is characteristic of gunshot residue. Mm-hmm. If only two of the elements are present, such as increased levels of lead and antimony, but not barium, then the results would be consistent with gunshot residue, but might be from environmental sources as well. Okay. A combination of lead and antimony might occur as a result of coming in contact with a lead weight or old lead paint. A combination of barium and lead can mean that a person handled a car battery. Right. And barium is very common in dirt and soils, clays, potteries, those types of materials. So it's not common for a person that has very dirty hands to have a higher level of barium on their hands. And antimony is real common in electronics, apparently. So that's... I mean, in a scrapyard, it wouldn't be uncommon for those to be there. But for all three to be there in certain quantities would be, seems to me, would be pretty obvious. Right. So she says that Mary had elevated levels of barium, lead, and antimony on her left palm. Was she left-handed? I don't know. How do we not know this? It's not important. She also had increased levels of barium on the back of her right hand. Increased levels of barium only. On the back of her right hand. Okay. So, if you think about it, if you're holding, like, yep. uh, for example, yep. let's just say a shotgun. If you're holding a pistol, or sure. I would say a shotgun, because a pistol you're going to hold more so with one hand. But a shotgun, you're going to hold the barrel with, like, I'm right-handed. I hold the barrel with my left hand, and the trigger with my right hand. Well, with a pistol, you're going to do the same thing. But we're not talking about a pistol here. We're talking about right, a high-powered rifle. Right, but a pistol, rifle. you're going to put your left hand more so under underneath your right hand. Which would, but I guess if you really, if you if you do that motion with your hands right now. That's what I'm doing in the air. 
the your left hand is going to be kind of cupped around the pistol grip right to where if you did get residue it would land on your palm which it was in her left palm right right and then you would get residue on the outside or the right hand side on of your back, right hand the back hand side the back of, your right side of your right hand right. if you're right handed right so that all it all it makes sense for really for anything for any type of weapon i can see that being consistent with it right it makes sense so atina only had increased levels of barium on her left palm so vicky concluded that mary either fired a gun handled a gun or cartridge case that had recently been fired or was in close proximity to a gun when it was fired. I feel like if you were in close proximity to a gun when it was fired, you wouldn't have that type of residue in those locations, right? Right. Um, I mean, why would you? But she's an expert, right? So she's got to put all the information yeah. out there as unbiased as possible. Well, there's such a thing as an expert opinion. And she should. Yeah, I mean, that's the point. As an expert, she's got to put all of the possibilities out there you know she's got to be like are these rare possibilities absolutely but is it absolutely possible yeah but is it rare yeah you see what i'm saying you have to let the i mean it's it's possible but when you say possible winning the lottery is possible too yeah I haven't done but that, that I haven't type done of thing that seems a little yeah that seems pretty low chance of getting that type of residue in those locations consistently if you weren't holding the weapon firing it correct i mean that's my opinion too but i can understand yeah. where like you know an expert would be, try to i mean be obviously used. you've got to prove this beyond a shadow of a doubt right. in the courtroom but right. i think anybody reasonable well even with all that the da decides that they need more evidence for an arrest yeah so they don't issue an arrest warrant so they never they never found a weapon no they never found a rifle no which okay ain't, go ahead ain't, ain't that some shit yeah so in the meantime mary basically takes over the scrapyard like you know as if it's hers yeah and then uh raymond's son ron steps in and he's like no 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 this is my place now it belonged to my father you need to leave yep so Mary's now unemployed. So sad. <laughs> then her son is released from prison in 2016. Chopping or chapping? Chapping. Chopping. It doesn't, it doesn't even matter. You can call him Chappy. Chappy. Either way, he's released from prison in 2016, and him and his mom Mary moved to George West, Texas. You know where that's at? I've heard of it. I haven't. But no, I can't uh I can't put it on a map. I haven't heard of it and it's 100 miles southeast of San Antonio. 100 miles down. Mhm. Mm and and right. Right. Of San Antonio. Yeah. So it's just west of Houston. Yeah. Or it's 300 miles from Mahia. Yeah. It's like Two ways out. Just seems like they're trying to get as far away as they can. Yep. So by this point, it's been like five years since Raymond was murdered. And the case goes cold. That's it. The case just goes That's cold. That's it. Well, I mean, not technically it. I was going to say, my theory, so my theory would be that Dennis was involved, but Dennis didn't fire the weapon. 
Dennis was probably there. The weapon went off. She fired the weapon. Dennis took the weapon and left. She called the cops. Nobody ever saw Dennis there, and Dennis disappeared. And well, he didn't I disappear. Mean, he went to, he ended well, up in jail. He disappeared for the time being, and then he did. He didn't go to. He didn't go directly to jail. I mean, if he was out at the time of this thing, he was there. They did their thing. She fired the weapon. He went and disposed of the weapon, and then yeah. he got caught up and and went to jail, and everybody gets away with it. Yeah. Oh, well, I I guess I want to see what the orientation of the body looked like as far as which way he was pointing and when the he was because he was that facing seems like the gate. He was facing in towards the gate or out from the Bell, gate. So like he's like so he's like walking to the gate, right? The gate from opens the, from the inside out. But he's walking to the gate from the house. Right. He gets shot and he falls forward facing the gate. Yes. And the bullet hole was into his chest. Right. I mean, yeah, come on. The fact that, um, was it Atina? His fiance. What was her name? Yeah. Yeah, Atina, Atina. right? Uh-huh. Well, the fact that Atina wasn't, didn't show any type of emotion doesn't shock me because I feel like She's even though I said necessarily emotionally invested right even though I said this is a dating thing and all that there's mm-hmm. obviously obviously there's the motivation for her or for most of those the the women in those scenarios is to get out of the situation they're in and into the US mm-hmm. now that's not necessarily a bad thing but it's going to lead them to be a little more likely to accept people accept a proposal from someone that they may not have in other scenarios if they had all the opportunity they already wanted. Okay. So it doesn't, that doesn't shock me at all. Right. It's like you said, she's not, Yeah. she's not emotionally invested and it's not, that's not uncommon. I wouldn't think. Right. Not, especially at that point. Right. This isn't, this isn't that far into it. Yeah. Well, so let's see what happens. Yep. So I think, uh, and this is literally my personal opinion, I think her Mary moving so far away kind of like kicked investigators into gear. (laughs) Because they're like, she's going to get away. (laughs) Like, we had her here, and now she's not here. If she goes just a little further, she's going to be in Mexico, and we can't do anything about it. Yeah. So they just decide, screw it. We're just going to have to go off of what we have. So Mary is indicted. Oh, just out of nowhere. Yeah. So they don't get any more information. They just go ahead and indict her. Right. This is right after she moves, I'm assuming. Yeah. And so they're okay. like, we're just going to see where it lands. All right. Um, so Hail she's Mary. arrested. And in her mugs and her mugshot, uh, she's she's like. Hail sim- Mary. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're funny with those. I didn't mean it. It just happened. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, so she's arrested and her mugshot has, like, for sure aged her. Mm. Like, she's on oxygen and everything. The way she was talking in that 911 call, I'm surprised she, <laughs> she wasn't already hasn't on it. keeled over. Um, My God. So, since they have her arrested, investigators decide to try to talk to Dennis again. By now, he's released from jail. They're thinking that you know, since they have Mary arrested, maybe he won't be so scared and he'll cooperate with them a little bit better. 
Yeah, I don't think he was scared. But he was able to confirm their suspicions. Dennis says that Mary had also tried to hire him to kill Raymond. Okay. He says she handed him $15,000 in cash and said she would give him the other half after it was done. Yep. Here's the crazy thing. Dennis never knew about Robin and Kim. The police didn't release that information to the public. I mean, that's not crazy. It's kind of crazy. I mean, obviously this woman was going around soliciting anyone she could to get him to get him to kill her husband, her ex-husband. Right. So it doesn't, I mean, it's not crazy. It just completely reinforces the fact that obviously no one's, you know, there's not, this isn't a lie. This is, yeah. This is two separate instances of of exactly what she did. Right. Which, if they can get them both to testify, I mean, that to me, that's a, I think that's a slam dunk. Well, so six years six years later, we're in 2017 now. Mary goes mm-hmm. to trial. Robin and Kim testify that not only were Raymond and Mary always fighting, but Mary was just hateful towards him. They testified that Mary said Raymond was going to take everything from her and she wanted him gone. And mm. finally, they testified that Mary had offered them $30,000 to kill Raymond. Dennis testified that Raymond and Mary argued constantly on several occasions. And Mary even said she wanted Raymond dead to several people. He testified that Mary had also offered him $30,000 to kill Raymond. Slam dunk. Game over. Gary Nichols testified about a specific time where Mary said that she was going to kill Raymond and then she wished he was dead. Wow. Randy Wilson testified that he had taken Raymond to the airport one day in 2011. And when he got back from dropping Raymond off at the airport, Mary said that she wished the plane would crash so she could be rid of Raymond. My God. He's got a lot of friends. Yeah. These are, these are the kind of friends you want, people. Right. Man. Atina testified that she heard Raymond talking on the phone to Mary the morning of the murder. She says Mary wanted to come into work early, but Raymond told her to wait until he finished his breakfast. Atina says that she started cleaning and she looked up and saw Mary sitting in her truck waiting at the gate. So she told Raymond, hey, Mary's outside. He was pissed, but he walked out the door to open the gate for her. Atina says that she continued cleaning the office area when she heard a loud boom, and it's a scrapyard. Right, that happens all the time. Exactly. Yep. Since they have a translator for her, her story makes much more sense. Yeah. Anyway, Michael Jones, the funeral director, testified that Mary came in the day after the murder asking for him to be cremated, like, immediately. (laughs) Like, his body had not even been moved over there yet. And she was like, I need him cremated today. And this was before the autopsy, I'm assuming? Right. Okay. Like I said, I would I said I would explain to you the uh, autopsy, what was, at least what was testified in court. Yep. So this is the testimony of Lynn Salzberger, a forensic pathologist. Lynn says that an x-ray of Raymond's torso revealed a feature that we see with a high-powered rifle gunshot wound. She says any type of high-velocity gun, the bullet will fragment and make what we call this lead snowstorm as it enters the body. 
Lynn would consider a high-velocity gun to include hunting rifles and assault rifles. She says the bullet traveled straight through his heart and beat it to a pulp. That's a direct quote. Right, literally just vaporized it. Or right. not vaporized it, but blended it. Yeah. I, yeah. Depending on the type of slug in the rifle, right? Mm -hmm. Certain materials do different things. So a hollow point is going to flare open like your typical bullet would, right? So you're going to see the bullet flare open, which will cause it to have more mass at the front, which is going to displace as much material as possible, but it stays together. Right. There are there are bullets that fragment like that, and they'll actually just literally break into tiny little pieces and just destroy whatever they hit. And I guess that makes sense. So if that's what they found, right. then you're not going to find you're not going to find an actual slug intact. Right. Although you should be able to find fragments that could that would lead you to understand what size rifle you're dealing with. So go ahead. She said that gunshot wounds are not normally this severe unless it's a high-powered assault rifle. Based on the exit hole in the center of Raymond's back, she opinion, opinionated that the shooter was likely in front of Raymond and the shooter was elevated. Raymond was slightly bent over or a little bit of both. So it... So, so she shot him from sit, sitting in her truck. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes and no. She would be slightly elevated shooting down from her truck. But he was slightly bent over, so it makes the angle of entry a little awkward. Well, I mean, so it came out, I'm guessing, lower back? It said center of the back. So it hit him in the center of his chest and came out the center of his back. Right. So it wasn't really elevated. She said slightly. Yeah. Another expert, Ann Kotel, testified that she found lead residue near the exit wound, but not near the entrance wound, which, which suggested the firearm was fired outside of the drop of distance. In other words, the gun was not likely shot at a point-blank range. Okay, hold on. The drop of distance. Wait, so she found gunshot residue. No, she found lead residue? Say that part. Say that part again. Okay, she testified that she found lead residue near the exit wound, but not near the entrance wound, which suggested the firearm was fired outside of the drop of distance. In other words, the gun was not likely shot at point-blank range. That makes zero sense to me. That means it was shot far away, right? Well, no, I'm just point-blank range. I can see lead residue like on the outside of the exit wound uh -huh. from the barrel, right? From just literally being cast out of the barrel behind the bullet. Right. But but it, first of all, a high-powered rifle is you're not going to fire that at any kind of close range unless unless it's like an execution. Secondly, if it's at the drop of distance, I don't know how you could say that. To me, lead residue might travel 10 feet maybe so uh -huh. she's saying because the drop of distance let's say we're talking about a 308 here okay. a 308 is not going to start dropping until about 200 yards a 270 is probably in the same range that's a long way yeah we're talking a long way so if she's saying the drop distance unless we're talking about a like a shotgun slug which we're not we're talking about something that was super high velocity 
the drop distance, if she's saying that, if she's if she's saying that lead residue would be on a person anywhere before the drop distance, then you're talking about, I'm going to say high-powered rifle, minimum 150 yards, which is a football field and a half. So we're, she can't have fired that rifle. You see what I'm saying? Unless we're talking about a long way. I mean, how far did he have to walk to the gate? And how far away was he from her? So... Okay. I mean, I was I was kind of under the impression he was basically right near the gate. Yes. And she was parked outside the gate. She so is. we're talking less than a hundred feet. I'll put it right? this way: she pulled her truck right up to the gate. Okay. Right. Well, which I mean makes perfect sense. The gate sense. Why can only you? be opened by him, and it was right. slightly open, so he was in the gate when he was shot. Yeah. So he was maybe a hundred feet away. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, like she could have spit on him so if that's the case and if i'm wrong and let's because i don't i'm obviously not an expert in this but let's say gunshot residue travels 150 yards i mean hey let's give it the let's give it the benefit of the doubt and say 100 yards let's say 50 yards you know what i mean yeah we're talking about a long way we're talking she can't she can't be the one who fired that rifle then who did is that her conclusion no, she doesn't have a conclusion. She's just providing the court with the evidence that she found as an expert. The DA is the one saying she fired the weapon. But I mean, was that was that considered to be refuting evidence of the DA? No. I'm just I, I guess I'm confused as to what she's trying to say there. She's just saying based off I mean, of I know I, I, under, I understand what she's saying. I just to me, gunshot residue is a is a super point blank type thing, right? Right. If you're if you have gunshot residue or or let's you know burn marks whatever you when you're talking about point blank range you're talking a couple feet with a rifle I can imagine point blank range being within ten feet fifteen feet yeah. but a hundred and a hundred plus feet is what she's is what she, it sounds like she's saying in the drop distance if I'm understanding what she's saying about drop distance right. When she says drop distance, it's quoted, so I don't know if that's just a term that they use, or... Yeah. I mean, in my head, drop distance means when the bullet starts to drop, which would be, as the the trajectory is almost, it's almost an arc, yeah. right? And if, as soon as that arc starts, that would be the drop distance. Well, the arc is going to start 100, 150 feet plus. Yeah. Typically, on a high-powered rifle. Yeah. I mean, if she's just saying it's... It, it didn't happen at point blank range. I'm totally with her and I can understand it. The drop distance comment just kind of throws me off. So maybe that's exactly what it was. I mean, these are two different experts basically testifying to similar things. So maybe that's exactly what it was. She was brought in to say, actually, no, there's no way Mary could have shot him versus the other lady who's saying, oh, yeah, she definitely could have because of these, these, these. Does that make sense? Well, I mean, was she brought in by the defense or by the... I don't know. These are just the transcripts, you know, words back and forth in court. I don't know who... I don't know who she was brought in for. Yeah, hey, I'm looking up drop distance as a, like a scientific term, and it's not... It's not here. So I'm... Well, it could just be like something that she... Like a term that yeah, she... Yeah, I think she's just... Yeah, that's her terminology in a weird way that could be kind of... I don't know. I feel like she's 
I feel like maybe I'm I'm maybe I'm complicating this a little too much, and she's all she's saying is he was not shot point blank with this rifle. Which right. okay, totally totally buy that. Did they? Did the police specify? I mean, obviously they specified a time of death, but was he was dead when they got there, right? Well, no. I mean, he he was taken to the hospital. He wasn't pronounced dead till he was at the hospital. Hmm. It says many firearms gunpowder pa- gunpowder patterns or gunpowder powder particles that impact a target drop off su- substantially at approximately 36 to 48. So that would be drop-off distance, right? 36 to 48 what inches? So obviously that's going to change based on velocity of the weapon, right? right. Because a 45 is going to fire at this at this speed, which means it's going to blow out particles this far. A rifle is going to do it farther. But that does sound about... I'm going to say it's further for a rifle, right? Right. But even if it's double or triple, you're not talking about hundreds of feet. You're talking about a few feet, right? So I don't see a a gunshot particle. The only way I think that a gunshot particle after about 40 feet at best, the only way you find a gunshot residue particle on a person is if it was carried there by the bullet and it's going to be right around the entrance and that's it. You're not going to find it splattered around the front side of the body. Yeah. No, I get it. So... I think it's just, you know, a lot of the testimony is going to come from both sides. You're going to have some that are coming from the defense and some that are coming from... Of course, right. That's the testimony that was in court. We're going to have to move on from this. Okay. The jury deliberated for about two hours, and they came back with their verdict. Mary was found guilty of murder and sentenced to life in prison. Noise. I found an appeal filed in 2019... Which was overruled. I mean, let's be honest, right? She's already given plenty of evidence towards motive. Right. There's the fact that you have two separate people testifying that they were both offered money to kill Raymond. Right. In, you know, totally separate instances. Come on. I think they theorized that she couldn't, what they ended up coming up with in court is that she couldn't find anybody to do the job for her so she just decided yep. to do it herself. Yep. I would have a feeling though. I I I would I would put I would put in a, put a certain amount of stock in the possibility that Dennis was involved in at least at a minimum. I just couldn't ever find where they questioned him about why he was in Mahaya. Mhm. I can't I can't find that anywhere. Yeah. I mean, but even if they did, right, he's just going to say, oh, well, you know, I mean, he he could give any number of reasons. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't uncommon for him to be there. Right. It wouldn't have been uncommon for him to stop by for any reason whatsoever. So, well, I would assume in exchange for his testimony against Mary, they were like, look, if you'll testify against her, we'll leave all this other stuff out. You know, I can see how that would have been a conversation. Leave all. I'm not saying that they had that conversation. I'm just saying I can see where it could have been had. Yeah, but... Here's something interesting. Go ahead. So Mary is currently incarcerated with the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. However, I I can't find her on the inmate list. Like, so you can go on to the TDCJ website. Right, and you can search for an inmate. Right, and you can... And it should come up. Yeah, find any inmate as long as you have their name. 
and I can't find her. I've searched Mary Jacoby and Mary Green. Well, is she still alive? Yeah. She may not be alive anymore if she was on oxygen or... So, first of all, I do think she's still alive. I didn't find a death certificate for her. But you can still search past inmates. Oh, you're saying you can find them even if they are not alive? Just a past inmate? Yeah, because you can see when they were when they were released. Because you can also search death row inmates that have been executed. Wow. So I did find several articles that say that she's being housed at the Christina Melton Crane Unit, which is in Gatesville, Texas. But again, she is not on the inmate search. Odd. <laughs> the only thing I can come up with is that she has changed her name in some way, either remarried or something. Which I have a hard time believing that because when she was convicted in court she was convicted as mary jacoby right mary elizabeth jacoby hmm it's interesting anyway so i don't know I, I i guess she's at that unit unless it's i looked up the unit to see if it was like some type of specialized like rehab type unit yep and i mean it's it's not hmm. like it's just i mean it's a female unit and I don't know it was built by an ex-con named Christina Melton she built it well she 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 was incarcerated and she got out and like turned her life around and had this put this unit together to try to help build women and all that kind of stuff like they they get to go to school and learn trades and things that a lot of yeah. the other all the other ones don't know, I mean, don't get to do. So, oh. yeah. So in the end, it was determined that Mary Jacoby shot and killed Raymond Jacoby. But it was a cold case for a long time. It's still listed as a cold case on the website. It's, I mean, it's got the big solved stamp yeah. over the yeah. front of it now. But, uh, I mean, it was, yeah, it was a cold case for a while. I mean, to be totally honest... The only question here is whether she physically shot him or not. Or did she have some... Or did she have someone else do it, regardless... Did she have Dennis help her? <laughs> regardless of the scenario, it was her plan to do it, right? And even if she didn't fire the weapon herself, she's the one that caused his death. Right. So, I, you know, I think you're pretty safe just putting it all on her and calling it over with. So. That's right. So we'll put it all on her and call it over with. Sounds good. You're cool for now, Dennis. Yeah. For no now. one's coming after you for now. All right, on to the next. Yeah, that. Yeah.